I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! There are a surprising number of words to do with being the unfortunate one between the sticks. There's goalkeeper, keeper, number one, goalie, custodian, glovesman, sticksman, netminder. Ah, we'll leave it to David Seaman to intro the episode. This is all about the crazy, crazy world of football. Coaches plan for hours. Players practice for perfection, but there's no accounting for a moment's madness that leads to the ball finishing in the net, or a top player missing a goal that your granny could score. There are many of those mad moments coming up. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Joining me for this one about the art of goalkeeping, first of all, Charlie Eccleshare. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Rate your goalkeeping skills. Really, really bad. Um, Why? Why is it so difficult for you? I mean, I, I would never go in 11 aside. You know, some, some people, when you're in desperate need, will do that. Uh, I'm mm. not at that level. So it's only really at fives. Um, yep. I mean, all right at blocking shots with my feet, but hands, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Not happening. That's honesty. Alongside you in a virtual sense is, is David Walker, who, uh, now I think about it, has a really goalkeeper name. Congratulations, Dave. What's so goalkeeper about it? I just picture a sort of Championship League One mid 30s goalkeeper really solid perhaps former England under 21 I did get a, a pair of goalkeeper gloves for Christmas I think when I was nine or ten um mm-hmm. so so at one stage for for a very I can't even really remember I don't even think I ever actually played in goal but I definitely got I definitely had it enough of a desire to be a goalkeeper that I asked for a pair of goalkeeper gloves for Christmas so I don't know what went wrong <laughs> on that subject I am actually wearing my new goalie gloves which I bought just before lockdown and haven't had a chance to wear to five aside yet and uh, they're fresh, and I'm wearing them. Excellent. Can we hear them? Sure. Lovely. Thunderous. So satisfying. You can enjoy The Athletic for free for 90 days. That's enough time to watch 2004 DVD classic David Seaman's Jeepers Keepers 2,273 times by going to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. And this offer expires on May the 28th at midnight. This is something I've really wanted to get off my chest about goalkeeping, uh, Charlie. It's, it's just that I'm convinced that maybe 80-90% of saves that are considered to be great and brilliant are, are simply they're simply not. I I would classify them as if the goalkeeper hadn't saved them, it would have been an absolute terrible error. Can you think of a specific save that you have in mind? I suppose a, a classic example sort of in, a, in a generic sense would be sort of any shot from sort of close range that simply hits the goalkeeper goes straight at them. And they, they might have had to move themselves a little bit in order to make the save. But I think it, it's more it's more the kind of the aesthetics of it all that lead people to make lead people to believe it was a tremendous save, great save, wonderful. When really they just existed um, in order to make it happen. And I just I, I worry that it's a combination of there just being a quite low bar for the appreciation of goalkeeping. It definitely is, I think, misunderstood. It's, there's a mystique about it. It takes on an almost mythical role, the goalkeeper. But I think, I think that said, it's easy to to to, to think that we that all the as you say that most saves are just standard. Oh, they should they're they're they're, they're a good shot stopper. Yes, that's their job to stop shots. But as as we touched on at the top with Charlie, like we've all gone in goal at some point for five minutes or for a game or whatever. And Christ Almighty, it is. I mean, it's horrendous. Like they, these these people should be should be lauded for for simply being in the way of shots. Well, it, it just every bone in your body wants to jump out the way of the ball that's coming flying towards your head at ninety <laughs> miles an hour. The vast majority of pundits aren't goalkeepers; they're sort of well-known, spectacular outfield players, and, and goalkeeping is a bit of an afterthought for them. And I and I just I do wonder that the result of this is that we never really I don't think we've ever reached a consensus on what a great save actually is, what the components of a great save 
Mm. is because, I mean, you, you could score a great goal. We, we debated this on the goals episode about what constitutes a great goal. And it comes down to little nuances of, of, of preference, Charlie. So, you know, a certain type of goal will appeal to certain people more. But when it comes to saves, I just I don't know what a great save looks like. What, what are the components? What What is the skill set that goes into a great save? Because to me, um, the vital ingredients of what we consider to be a good save is athleticism and being able to reach the balls. So that makes you quite tall and having good reactions. But none of those are skills as such. I think there are a few things that are kind of um, kind of safe fallback options. If a goalkeeper has to readjust, if he's going one way and then moves the other and still makes a save, I think that's generally... And I don't know whether goalies would agree with this, but that's kind of what most pundits would acknowledge as being, you know, shorthand for an amazing save. I think of, so. David Seaman against, say, Sheffield United. Yeah, or Schmeichel City. against Rapid Vienna in '96, mm. um, and he got really low as well and palmed it out. The, the double one where they they save one and then get back up, and, and yeah, that's seen as that's one. what they There's train one. for. That's what they train for. There's also that thing, isn't there, where he's had nothing to do all day and then makes a really good <laughs> save which suggests that we put concentration at a premium, you know, this idea that they haven't just switched off. I think a change of direction is 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 key to mm. a really great save. So if you've if you say are uh, like the shot takes a deflection, you've started to go one way, then the keeper comes back mm. the other way and still saves it. That's really impressive. Like mm. the thing about the, the David Seaman save, which um you know, some people hold it hold it up as one of the best of all time. I've equally seen some people say that it's, it's overrated, but the thing I love about that save, and it's generally genuinely up there for me, I think, is one of the best saves. Where, where that, that's what comes to that what comes to mind anyway when I think of those saves is he hasn't just. It's not like he's. It's not hit him. He's not parried it. Mm. There is. It's. It's almost like he's playing. You know, like when you're on holiday, you play like water volleyball in the swimming yep. pool he's diving backwards and he sort of managed to <laughs catch exactly the ball in the same movement push it back the other way mm. which mm. i think mm. is the best thing about that but what i can't say about that save as amazing a save as it was if you compare it to a great great goal i don't think i could necessarily make the argument that no other goalkeeper could have saved it or, or a lesser goalkeeper couldn't have performed that save if if a, if you'd stuck a, a I don't know a League Two goalkeeper in the same situation, I'd still just about back them to put their hand out and clasp it away. I just don't. There isn't an obvious kind of hierarchy of ability with goalkeepers when it comes to great saves, and it, and I just find the whole thing a really grey area. I think one of the reasons maybe why is because the the sort of spectrum of saves is so much mm. smaller than compared to the amount of different ways you can score a brilliant goal and the amount of yep. people involved in it, the combinations that can happen, the build-up, long range, mm. all those different things you talked about on the goals episodes. Whereas mm. the goalkeeper is always pretty much in between the posts, in the box. It's all, The positioning's always... It's, 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 it's probably only about five, six. Maybe you could stretch to ten, but I certainly don't think you get more than ten different types of easily classifiable saves. So they all yep. basically look the same. Well, I think there are a couple of things. One with that, um, could anyone else do it? Which is what I was talking about on the um, the goals one. I think sometimes you do see that with something like David De Gea. I think he will make saves stretching with his feet and things like that that do feel mm. quite unique to him. And you think, I, I'm really unsure as to whether many other goalies could do that. Another tell, I think, as to how good a save is, you do sometimes see reactions from strikers uh, or, or whoever's had the shot. And it is genuine disbelief. And I remember there was one, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had one against Arsenal at Old Trafford yeah. in 2006 and Lehman saved it. And, and his reaction is on it is so authentic. It's just like, how has he just saved that? This I think is that's a very, a really, very good point. Yeah, Because strikers, you know you know when you've hit a shot and you're like, that's, got, that's yeah. just in. And then a keeper, that, that's very authentic. And I think that, that's quite revealing as to just how good a save is. I think in that example, I think you can actually see Sasha mouthing, how the fuck did he save that? Or something along yeah, something, the Yeah, exactly. I think this is a really good point. I think if, if, if a player is convinced that, that their shot that they have performed is going in and their goalkeeper saves it, I think that could, that's the, this is the golden, this is the, this is the silver bullet we're looking for. This is the, this mm-hmm. is the key to, to saves. If, if someone thinks they've scored and, it, and, it, and the goalkeeper pulls off a save, that to me is, is, is the benchmark we're looking for. Thank you. Now I now like, I leave this I'll leave this podcast satisfied. <laughs> it's like when you see them pulling away to go off and celebrate, and then they look mm. they sort of glance back, and the keeper's tipped over the bar or something. We've roughly agreed what our ingredients are for, the, for a great save. So, what is the best save of all time? Well, well, obviously, the most popular answer to this question would be Gordon Banks, 
versus mm-hmm. Brazil because that that is basically accepted as like canon for like the best the best save of all time. It's you can't even question it, can you? But well, I haven't seen anybody question have. it. I feel like I feel like it should be questioned. It should be, it should be open to debate. It's I feel like it's passed too easily into, into mythology. Um, we need to pick it apart a bit. And I'm I'm unsurprised to find that there is a, there is indeed a Guardian on second thoughts article about Gordon Banks's save against Brazil, in which they describe it as routine, uh, which I think is <laughs> taking it a little bit too far. But I, I'm open to the idea that it's it's very overrated. Charlie, what do you think? Well, this is one comes down to what we were talking about uh, a few weeks ago, wasn't it? About like different eras of football. I mean, it might mm. just be partly that watching it now, it feels um, the, the ball seems to be moving a lot slower than we're used to now, so it feels like an easier save. So it's 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 hard to to get a sense of how what that would have felt like at the time, you know, and how it was mm. relative to other saves. Yeah. I mean, there's also yeah. an element the players involved and the occasion. And also the fact that back then there was so little football televised. So the fact that it was on and everyone saw it, it had an exposure that I'm sure tons of other really good saves from the time didn't have. Dave, I put it to you, and this this might sum up the crux between a great save and a great goal. Now, great goals we're accustomed to seeing because they, they the, the end of a great goal, which is the ball nesting beautifully in, in a very unreachable part of the net or emphatically into a very fleshy part of the net, that always looks really good. The thing about a save is, is, is that the end result, which is, you know, the ball being parried to safety or into the goalkeeper's arms, that isn't actually the main bulk of the save. The bulk of the save is actually stopping the ball going in in the first place. So whatever happens after that is 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 pure aesthetics. So with a Gordon Banks save... He keeps the ball out, which is the number one job, but then the ball sort of travels up and over the crossbar, which makes it look miles better than if he just tipped it around the post. But it was essentially, in summary, the same the same result. It's still a corner. Does that kind of embellish the whole thing? I feel like it does. Are you suggesting that it was merely one for the cameras? Hmm. <laughs> but perhaps not even deliberately. What, what I am saying is yeah. that he probably had no intention of, of tipping that ball up and over the bar. So in, in yeah. a roundabout way, it has turned out to be one for many, many cameras. Uh, we really do need to ask a goalkeeper this question. What is the best save of all time? It's, it's, mm. It is very, very difficult to, to qualify. I, I, I mean, I, go- I googled that very thing earlier on and found a shortlist article which had 15 of the greatest saves of all time as they as they said and i mean they were as you said as we said at the start they're all they're all good but they're all they're all kind of the same i mean the, the most the weirdest one is gregory coupe with the header onto the bar this is david oh, yeah, james's is favorite save of all time he says that's the greatest save of all time would you like to d- describe it because it is an absolutely astonishing passage of football so he comes out he he He's playing for... Is he playing against Barcelona? Against Barcelona in the Champions League. Yeah. So he comes out, he gets lobbed, but he manages to run back. And for whatever reason, I mean, the only thing that comes into his mind is, you know, I can't get to it with my... I don't know why he didn't stretch out and try and tip it out with his hands, but... Because it's a back pass. It's a back pass. Oh, right. So that's why... It's a back pass from a defender. So the defender sort of lobs a back pass towards him and he makes the decision that he's not going to handle it despite the fact that I reckon that he probably would have got away with it. Yeah. So he then heads it onto his own crossbar. But it's like a fantastic, di- it's a fantastic diving header. He's like full yeah. on, like human darts, Absolutely like incredible. straight arms <laughs> down by his side. Heads it. I mean, he's probably just trying to get his head on it. Like, but it mm. kind of looks like almost that he's aimed to hit it against the crossbar. It's so mm. perfectly timed. But then, you know, the ball just drops back into the mouth of the goal and the on-rushing Barcelona forward comes in to try and tap in the rebound and he manages to get up. He falls into the net, gets out from, from within the goal mouth and blocks the shot, which is the sort of, which taps it, caps it all off. It is amazing. And that second save alone is a really, really incredible save, like genuinely top-tier stuff. And uh, so if you throw in the kind of absolutely crazy sort of action film diving header at the start of it, I genuinely think this might be the best piece of goalkeeping I've ever seen. Can't think of anything better. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of, of, of the language of goal, goalkeeping. Charlie, if I said unorthodox but effective, what kind of saves are we talking about here? Uh, I'm thinking about coming out and like sliding forward with his legs and blocking, mm. just getting a block on uh, with, a, with a body part you don't normally associate with making saves. <laughs> yeah, it's just that's, taking that's one in the thing. groin or something, or the yeah. unmentionables. And, uh, and then commentators have a little chuckle and talk about how unorthodox it was that he just simply got his body in the way, which is literally his job. Charlie, when they say a shot has been hit at a good height for a goalkeeper, what are we talking about? Well, I think of these as penalties mainly, you hear about a, mm. a good height, and that's a, you know, a bit off the because if it's low enough they can't really get there and obviously if it's too mm. high so it's a little bit elevated um just enough that it's not going to go under them and it's kind of a hand height 
Um, Batty Argentina that, 98. I feel like yeah, that is that, the sweet spot of good height for goalkeeperness. Yeah. I also enjoy how the workload of the respective goalkeepers in a match towards half time becomes kind of the the bellwether for, for for how the game is going. So I feel like the happier of the two managers is exactly equal to whoever's been the busier of the two goalkeepers. Um, I feel like that's their fundamental role is, is to decide the ebb and flow of a game is how busy one of the two goalkeepers has been. Uh, to pick up one of your early points, Charlie, I, I always enjoy it when um, we lord a goalkeeper who has basically just been standing around for ages and then suddenly makes a save as if that's, you know, like it was like a bit of an inconvenience for them. They were doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, if yeah, I have to. to. Do, we kind of describe that as being called upon as if it, it was their duty and they were being conscripted. Dave, what do you reckon the origin is of a beaten all ends up? Because I feel like it's only, it feels like it could be quite a general phrase. You could use it in many, many situations, but we only use it in when goalkeepers are just emphatically beaten by goal. Yeah, is it normally used when like a goalkeeper is just completely static at a free kick and it's just gone, they just, they just watch it gone past them. They're beating all ends up. I think it's more so when keepers are at full stretch, there's nothing they could have done. And that, that's the implication I get from all ends up is there's literally nothing more they could have done. And we're into kind of two goal, two goalkeepers wouldn't have saved that territory. That's what I think all ends up means. Can we get into the two goalkeepers wouldn't have saved that territory? <laughs> yeah, sure. <please? laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because if you actually think about that, like even if you did have two goalkeepers in the goal mouth, mm. you still wouldn't necessarily, you would technically be beating both of them. Unless they were standing behind one another. Like, well, I disagree because technically you're aiming at the goal and you've evaded both goalkeepers with your shot. Yeah, but you'd be you'd, one goalkeeper, only one goalkeeper surely would have had the opportunity to save the goal hmm. just by virtue of them being in the same goal mouth. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to debate this, but it's very important that we do. <laughs> and I, I'm now wondering whether is a goal better if no goalkeeper in the world could have saved that or if two goalkeepers couldn't have saved it. Uh, which one is better? I'm, I'm really struggling with that. I feel like two goalkeepers would be better than the best goalkeeper in the world. Depends how well they coordinated themselves. Two terrible goalkeepers would be a lot worse than having David De Gea in goal. No chance. This is, this is a fundamental point. No way. Team, if, if this could ever be experimented with, I would, I would, I would wager that teams who have two bad goalkeepers, and I don't know what your benchmark for bad, let's say like the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League, whoever that may be, two of him no, in worse. goal. No, worse. Worse than that. Like two oh, okay. amateurs. Two amateurs. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's not fair. That's not, that's not what the goal. phrase implies. The <laughs> yeah. phrase doesn't say two absolute no marks you don't know how to put on a pair of gloves. We're talking about two goalkeepers. Two goalkeepers who, who would be eligible for that game in question. That's what they're saying. You can't move the goalposts. You're quite literally moving the goalposts. Stop it. <laughs> On similar lines, I also struggle with uh, um, when a co-commentator really vaguely, this is this is peak vague co-commentator, says, well, it had to be good to beat a keeper of his quality from there. I so what's the distance that we're talking about here? And just how bad should a goalkeeper be that it's worth sort of shooting from 30 yards all the time? I just don't think any elite <laughs> goalkeeper would ever not qualify for that for that sentence. A keeper of that quality, a keeper of his quality. They beat you from there. Um, but yeah, well, it gets 25 yards plus, right? Yeah, and often for free kicks, I think. It's if like, you know, you, you oh, take yeah. a free kick quite speculatively from a long way out and it's like you're not going to mm. be a keeper of his quality from there. I do like on a, on a purely aesthetic level, Dave, I'm a big fan of a despairing dive and I feel like the greatest exponent of despairing dives in the Premier League is Jordan Pickford. Um, by, I guess, it's a combination of factors. Really, he's just quite small. And secondly, he's a very willing goalkeeper. Everything he does seems to be incredibly earnest and very just to the max. And when, there, when, when shots go in that are just so far beyond his reach, he'll still probably go for them. I've never seen a statuesque Jordan Pickford. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's extremely, to the point where sometimes it affects him, he's an extremely passionate, mm. committed man. Um, the despairing dives, though, a, a listener pointed out um, yesterday when you put the tweets out ahead of the show, mm -hmm. Joe, listener Joe, he's pointed out a nice subsection of the Phil Jones School of Expressions, the Van der Sar <laughs> scream, mm. which I wasn't aware of, oh, but there right, are some yeah. amazing pictures of Van der Sar. Just, he really does look like the old... Um, what is it? The you know the Edvard Munch. Edvard Munch. Edvard Munch. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's amazing. Like he it lit, he is literally despairing whilst Messi is about to head one past him in the Champions League final. And that's the one amazing. I always think of. That Messi one. 
looking at it, it looks like the sort of the facial equivalent of the little sort of hop and skip they do before they dive. It's like that he's getting himself ready for what poten- potentially might be about to happen. But yeah, I, I having looked at it, I think, yeah, I feel like I've seen that face so many times from, from Van der Sar. Conversely, from the kind of despairing dives, goalkeepers tend to ruin really good goals by actually getting a hand to it, and uh, but still not keeping it out. An example I would use is Joshua Kimmich's sort of chip for Bayern against mm. Dortmund this week, yeah. which the keeper got a hand to, and and I'm not sure if it was good goalkeeping or, or nearly good goalkeeping or simply quite bad goalkeeping, but he ruined a quite good goal by getting his hand to it. Stop doing that, goalkeepers. Either, either <laughs> save it or let it in. <laughs> Definitely takes the gloss off an otherwise Completely. Bergkamp-esque goal. Yeah. <laughs> I want to end this sort of short list of, of goalkeeping truisms, Charlie, by... Um, what goalkeeper do you, comes to mind when we think of this, this bizarre kind of pseudo-analysis um, over the last few years of a goalkeeper being worth 10 to 12 points a season? <laughs> well, that's Petr Cech. Uh, yeah, completely. Ori- originally, that I remember that first thing you said in relation to Schmeichel in around 96. And then, yeah, yeah. when Cech left Chelsea to join Arsenal, something like that was said. And it was genuinely, you know, people <laughs> were doing the numbers. They were like, well, wait a minute. So Arsenal were, what, 10 points behind Chelsea last season. They, they're going to win the league. They're getting 12 extra points. Now, this is the crux. I don't think anybody was employing any logic. I don't think they were looking at the lead table. I just think they were thinking, oh, well, he's just worth 10 to 12 points a season. It's a bit like people who, um, uh, pundits who who claim that um, they've worked out how many points will be enough to stay up. You haven't done the homework. You haven't done any analysis. You just <laughs> yeah. think, oh, I'm looking at it. I think 38 will be enough this season. You have no idea. It's <laughs> just bullshit. And, and, and this... this I mean, Czech will have this on his gravestone. When he dies, it will be, here lies Peter Czech. He was worth 10 to 12 points a season. <laughs> we asked some of our um, listeners for their, for their favourite goalkeeping mannerisms. Um, the sort of little sort of physical and verbal ticks of, of elite goalkeepers that they seem to have kind of agreed upon with each other. Mark Cox suggests the utter disgust when a goal kick doesn't seem to go quite in the direction that they wanted. Uh, I'd always like that perfectionism. You, you see that close-up of goalkeeper who's just released the ball and they sort of berate themselves. You think, well, where did you really want it to go? How, how bad can that goal kick have been? I wonder if it's a bit performative sometimes as well. That. Yeah. It's a bit like... I'm really like, bloody I, good at my job. My, yeah, my problem is I set myself too high standards. I'm too <laughs> much of a perfectionist. Uh, Dave, we always hear about a goalkeeper needing an early touch to settle his nerves. I feel like the benchmark for that early touch is really low. That could be anything. I mean, does, does simply catching a sort of overhit through ball count as a, an early touch to settle the nerves? Is that, is that really going to make you feel better about the next 90 minutes? I think it's saving a comfortable shot, like just, just mm. a routine shot that he gathers into his chest and may or may not then collapse to the ground. This reminds me, we were talking about what constitutes a great save. If I'm watching a very high-pressure game involving my own team, and I'm, I'm obviously a great save is great to look at but sometimes I'm most comforted by one of those low shots that, fu- that is fired through legs and, you, and your goalkeeper just sort of uh, plunges down and, and gathers it at the first attempt and it just goes straight into his arms and you just think yeah. that 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 is that to me pound for pound is the best save because that that ball could go anywhere and and that I think that's that kind of separates a, a good goalkeeper from the rest is when they, you know it's, they're not going to spill it. Yeah. That, that, to me, would settle anybody's nerves, let alone a goalkeeper. I, 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 I tend to agree with you, but I'm, I, I also feel, part of me feels that this is exactly the sort of thing that any goalkeeper listening will be going, that's bollocks. It's actually really hard to <laughs> I don't care. To, to parry. I, don't, <laughs> I absolutely don't care. I, I, I was intent, I, I don't care about having a goalkeeper on this podcast. This isn't about, this isn't about the technical aspects of goalkeeping. This is about our perception of goalkeeping, which is way more important important and um, this is and whether it's misperception or not it's about how we consume goalkeeping from our perspective as non-goalkeepers i really don't care what goalkeepers think nobody no goalkeepers write in i don't care who you are the evolution of how goalkeepers kick the ball out of their hands charlie um it's all side volleys these days but it didn't used to be no it used to be more putting it or it certainly look that way why don't goalkeepers kind of bounce the ball anymore i feel like bouncing the ball and then in- getting under it just launching yeah. it up in the air you watch old games and keepers will get the ball in, in non-pressure situations and this isn't a this isn't a time wasting thing at all. They would they would really, really earnestly bounce the ball like five or six times like like I don't know, like Nadal waiting to serve and then they would finally get rid of it. I just maybe the game's just quicker now, but you just don't see goalkeepers sort of bouncing the ball purely for their own purposes anymore. And then you just you don't see goalkeepers properly punting it out of their hands and and you never see Dave you never see a half volley anymore what happened to the drop kick 
I think it's just, I think it's really impractical way of kicking the ball out. You never ever see it these days, and it, it it's a, it's actually a really difficult. If you think about how difficult it is to nail the ball on the half volley and yeah. get it where you want it to go, it's really difficult. And but it's, I don't know, you know, every a lot a lot more goalkeepers these days are adept at kicking it with their feet. But I'm convinced that every goalkeeper past a certain point just they never used they literally didn't care where it ended up. Their job in their head was right. I want to kick this ball just as hard as I can, as high as I can, and I. Yeah. It's that's my bit, lads. You you fight for the ball. You do the rest. Whereas now it's like people are actually, you know, Edison is picking out the the left winger eighty yards away, dropping oh, it on his toe. Whereas yeah. before then, you know, the likes of Peter Shilton, who I saw playing in a in a retro England game recently, he was just it. He wasn't even looking where the ball was going to go. It was just up in the air. That's it. Job done. Charlie, you've just you've just conceded a, a crucial goal that was perhaps slightly your fault in a big game. Uh, are you a post kicker or a ground slammer? Looking at it rationally, I, I wouldn't really want to be kicking a post, but uh, <laughs> I have been known to react quite angrily to goals going right. in, so I, I wouldn't put it past me. Disproportionate number of goals seem to be reacted to by goalkeepers by kicking a post. And you, when you see it happen, about halfway through the motion, you think they're going to regret this. And they're already regretting it because it looks like it hurts. And then a lot of them adopt the technique of sort of stamping at it with their studs, which just seems like a quite a cowardly way out. Booting the ball into the, into the net again sometimes. Oh, good. In, in, in frustration. When a goalkeeper claims a ball from a cross or, or a corner, I love it when they sort of come charging out as if they're sort of carrying a Molotov cocktail at a protest and charging out of this crowded penalty area looking for somewhere to put it and then there's there's no there's no option for them they so have to stop and take stock and I, feel, I just feel really bad for them that they've wasted all their energy Alex Hess says the bizarre instinct to show chummy camaraderie with the bloke who's just trying to lob them from 40 yards it could be a cheeky smile or a full grinning thumbs up I, I quite like this Dave I, I feel like post save banter between goalkeeper and opponent is one of football's few sacred banters I feel like it, it's quite heartwarming just to see a goalkeeper kind of say, yeah, nice try. Yeah, can sometimes be followed if it's particularly if it's like, I mean, not so much if it's a 40 yard lob, but if there was like a, uh, an incident, a close range incident, it might be followed mm. up with like a comical pat on the head or a little wink yeah. like as of, they get ready yeah, for the corner. Sort of, yeah, sort of handshake and a little cuddle, especially if they know each other quite well. I just think, yeah, because yeah, it's just like you bastard for saving my shot is essentially the, the summary of that little inter- interaction. That's quite fun. I like that. Mark Jones suggests hovering their hands over the ball, Charlie, waiting for the forward to approach, then picking up the ball and jogging off. That's 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 not cricket, is it? That's bad. Mm, yeah, but I mean, it must be very satisfying <laughs> to do. I mean, like, you know, they they spend a lot of their time not doing a lot. On the subject of time wasting, somebody sent in a video of Jens Lehmann, I think, earlier on, which I'd never seen before. It was fantastic. Incredible. He's gone beh- Against Wigan. Behind, yeah, behind the um, the electronic advertising hoardings. He's carrying the ball under his arm, just goes to throw it back onto the pitch. And he so obviously just undercooks the throw, bounces off the advertising <laughs> hoardings, goes back to do it. And he almost does it a second time. But you should get book for that. You should get It's brilliant, though. Yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, it, you just there's just no way you can prove that he did it deliberately so he's got, of, he's got the time up. wasting is good time wasting yeah, a bit of context is. to that as well Kirkland had spent all game uh, in Arsenal's view time wasting and then when Arsenal got back into it Henri a really irate Henri in a really <laughs> nasty this. way presented him with the ball as if to say ah <laughs> and then a few minutes later such an Lehman Arsenal did thing that. to do I'm sorry but it is an angry forward who's got less than a minute left on the clock and the goalkeeper's taking his time over the goal kick places the ball down on the six yard line and the goalkeeper picks it up and walks over to the other side oh it's pops. brilliant I'm allowed to do it goalkeepers get away, get, goalkeepers get away with a lot in that context Actually, yeah you should, definitely should be allowed to the, the opprobrium from the crowd whenever they do that is fantastic Charlie you mentioned right at the top of this episode that you, you're a admittedly bad five-a-side goalkeeper and uh, unfortunately, I, I have a theory that people who are bad, stroke unwilling, stroke half-hearted in goal at five-a-side are scum, pathetic scum. What is wrong with people who aren't good in goal at five-a-side? How yeah, difficult could I, I it would, be? I would. Ch- I, I wouldn't. I, I said, you know, it was a terrible sun, uh, Sunday league, like eleven-a-side, yeah. five-a-side. Uh, I, I think my anticipation is all right, so I can get in half decent mm. positions and and make shot and uh, make blocks with my feet. I think. It's partly a coordination thing of not really knowing how to use my hands to block shots. It undermines a whole game of five aside, especially even a reasonably competitive one. If someone, I mean, we're all of, we're all 
you know, versed with the idea that everyone has a little stinting goal and that that's pretty much the standard system. And you don't go in if you've hurt your hand or something like that. That's absolutely oh, fine. Oh, God, the amount of ridiculous, oh, yeah, I've sprained my finger. I can't, but, sorry, lads, I can't today. But I would happily, I would happily that person not go in if they're just going to sort of start turning away from shots and sort of letting yeah. it through when, they, when all they had to do was just stand straight. It really irritates me, people who are bad in goal of five-side. There is yeah. no excuse for it. I worry that... In this hyper-professional age, there is no, there's no such thing as a maverick goalkeeper anymore. Um, the, the concept of a kind of madcap, clownish goalkeeper has gone by the wayside. They're all sort of they're also very serious about their practice now, As, especially sort of English goalkeepers. Like they're they're really they they talk very earnestly about their art and 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 goalkeeper coaching has become incredibly serious stuff now like all the little kind of marginal gains that they do and i just don't think we're ever going to see a, a a truly eccentric goalkeeper anymore no I, I think you're right i mean the whole game obviously it's just part of the whole professionalization of the game has gone to such a ludicrous extent now but it was before they basically just got left alone to do what they want right like it was just the mad bloke who turned up to be in goal and they were off you know i think there is a reason why goalkeepers in general are considered to be a bit mad it's because like what what sort of kid wants to be a goalkeeper what kid asks for the goalkeeping shirt rather than the number nine shirt weirdos that's who like that's why it's happened and but but now it's probably more it's people like Manuel Neuer and Edison and Allison are much more desirable figures than than the people the goalkeepers of yesteryear goalkeepers used to be left their own devices and and David Seaman on the excellent handbrake off podcast was talking about how George Graham would say things to him and he would basically just ignore it and go and talk to Bob Wilson, who was like, you know, the expert <laughs> on such matters as the goalkeeping coach. And I thought that was really interesting. But I wonder now with someone like Pep Guardiola, you know, you have these ultimate control freaks. Um, I wonder if an element of, you know, getting all goalkeepers to be able to play from the back, as well as it being part of his vision of, uh, of how football should be played, but is also slightly a control thing of being like, well, you know they're not we can't just have them as like an island on their own doing their own thing yeah. we need to be able to tell them exactly what to do as well and and someone like Neuer who you mentioned you, you know is a maverick but he's also I feel one of the most I feel it's very tightly controlled what he's doing I, I don't think he's yeah. going you know he's doing his own thing I feel it's all part of a, a grand plan to no, that, you know that to makes overload sense. the opposition yeah it makes perfect sense you, you, as you say you cannot in, in these tightly controlled times with your super super tactics all around you cannot have a goalkeeper simply doing his own thing and when you look back at perhaps the, the ultimate example of a goalkeeper who was perceived to be just in, in his own world, which I remember Jan Tomaszewski at Poland, who was who was the original clown goalkeeper. And clown has become a quite obviously pejorative term for a goalkeeper who is who's simply rather clamorous and, and not sticking to the rules. But here's my theory about clowns and goalkeepers. I think clowns make good goalkeepers and here's why here's a list of reasons why clowns make good goalkeepers first of all they just boost morale that's that's the whole point of clowns so so they're just good for team spirit alone they're accustomed to large crowds and you know performing quite sort of you know daring feats feats in front of them like on a tightrope or something like that um they're used to wearing sort of bright colored clothing Uh, as we know goalkeeper shirts are absurd um they're they're the masters of being unorthodox but effective, so they've got that box ticked. They are well established at handing, handling balls. They, yeah. They're good jugglers, so they've got good ball handling skills. Um, they would be unnerving for some opposing forwards who are scared of clowns. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's marginal gains there. The only thing that I think that could work against clowns are, I guess they are emotionally quite fragile. They cry a lot. That's not good. Also, they wouldn't do very well taking goal kicks with the oversized big shoes mm. and i suppose but otherwise they that's are, spot on yeah they are by definition prone to the occasional high profile gaff but I, I think other than that i think overwhelmingly they are well designed to be goalkeepers so calling goalkeepers clowns doesn't work so let's stop that it's a compliment if anything yeah, uh, can you share as well, Adam, this uh, graphic you've made that we have the benefit of seeing? I think it's yeah, great. Yeah, I did. It's nice, isn't it? Oh, you've done it already? Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Well, that leads us in- incredibly tidily on to um, one of the most kind of lowest points in, in, in the in the history of goalkeeping, which is uh, Michael Owen's soccer skills, in which he traumatised a 13-year-old called Jamie. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
I tracked him down a few years ago. He's, he's, um, he was a Leeds fan and he, his hero was Nigel Martin. And he, he turned up to this kind of um, Michael Owen soccer skills. It was a video and it was, it was done for BBC Two as well. And he was just sort of systematically bullied by Michael Owen. And, and it culminates in, in this, of course, now famous line from, from Neville Southall who was overseeing these things. But that's just, that's just the cherry on the icing on the top of the cake. It's, it's this sustained, really weird... Um, sort of lauding it over a 13-year-old goalkeeper. It starts, uh, and we're going to play the audio of this because I, I think you can just about get the, the whole vibe from it. It starts with a, a volleying drill and uh, one of the coaches throws the ball up to Michael Owen to volley from six yards, literally six yards, and he's hammering the ball at this goalkeeper and, uh, and seems to be thoroughly enjoying it. I just love volleying, and poor old Jamie has no chance. He's literally battering it at him, and then laughing as he does it. It's really odd. I mean, I mean, I, I guess the producers and director at the time had no, had no kind of beef with it, and it was probably all quite good fun. But um, it's when they start doing the one on ones, and then Owen just sort of steadily enjoys it more and more, scoring past his thirteen-year-old. He nutmegs him, he chips him. And then the last one is he sort of curls it round him from the edge of the box. And then, uh, of course, we have the immortal line, which we should also play. Get in there! Well done, he's 13. Game, set and match, Owen. Actually wheeling away in celebration here, Michael Owen, into an empty stadium. I, I wonder now, though, with the fact that you know anything you put out is going to be become a huge thing on social media or whatever if you'd be if, if that's a deterrent to this sort of amazing thing happening that like now they might be a bit like you know owen's people at this time would have now been like look if this goes out he's <laughs> gonna look really bad it's gonna become yeah. a big thing online like can you like tone it down a little bit whereas there wasn't that sort of deterrent before and it just made for these incredible no. raw i mean you are just that's so raw of him isn't it he's not putting that on he's acting completely no. naturally and it's incredible to watch it would be fine if it was there was any indication on the video that the, that Jamie, the thirteen-year-old goalkeeper, was enjoying it in any way, shape, or form. But <laughs> he just was he in just on isn't. the joke. So this concept of the, of the goalkeepers' union, Charlie, which which I think is could actually be a thing. I do wonder if if sort of um, twenty-five goalkeepers meet up in a wood-panelled room somewhere and discuss the uh, the state of their profession. Um, some of the cornerstones of of what they probably agree on is that. Um, at half time of extra time, or or, or if the um, if they if they lose the coin toss at the start and have to change ends, the goalkeepers must shake hands as they pass each other. I feel like that's a real act of solidarity. Um, similarly, not celebrating if one of them scores past the other one from eighty yards. I feel like you know you shouldn't lord it over them too much. What other things should the goalkeepers' union insist on? Well, I I think they agree upon the fact they don't get enough protection in the penalty area you know how that's something that that's a kind of universal complaint amongst commentators mm. that oh you can't go near a goalkeeper anymore uh without uh, without a free kick being given but i i know from reading david zuma's autobiography as a kid that uh, there's a big misconception about that and actually uh they do need protecting because it's it's very dangerous coming out for crosses and getting elbowed by john fashioner and the like at the same time, goalkeepers sort of rush out with their studs showing, which feels like an overreaction to their under-protection, Dave. Um, goalkeepers are quite nasty in their own little way, aren't they? It's just as much danger of a centre-half or a striker being absolutely clattered by the fist of a goalkeeper as there is at the goalkeeper being clattered by the head of the striker. So I do think they, they probably over-egg the, uh, the danger that they put themselves in. They can use their hands, after all. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I challenge you to read Safe Hands, the autobiography of David Seaman, and uh, <laughs> um, you, you, you may on, revise your the, opinion. It's on the list. Charlie, here's, here's another little um, vague goalkeeping theory that no one ever has really answered for me, which is when do goalkeepers really peak? Yeah, it's really funny you say this because on a snippet of uh, England-Scotland I was watching, Kevin Keegan addressed this mm. in, in quite a Keegan sort of vague way. It was like, you know, and he's still got years to come of being amazing yeah. about i think it was about dave seaman again god we're talking about him the whole time but he, he was the england keeper at the time and yeah i think it was mm. you know he's still got years after. i mean uh, the consensus obviously is that it's later than outfielders and so why yeah that's fine. why though i guess because it's less about the athleticism and experience and gravitas and judgment is more of a thing for them and so you you accumulate that 
because you know keepers aren't trusted keepers start their careers later don't they so you rarely have teenage keepers they probably don't start being trusted as number one until a bit later so they're not coming into that kind of sweet spot of experience until a bit later than um than an outfielders. element of wear and tear about it as well like you're not running yourself into the ground for 10 15 years yeah you keep going at that level but i find but my- that so weird though because like, they, they're throwing themselves around like we said earlier on surely that surely they do more damage to their joints than yeah like the, they're not running so they don't they don't lose the cardiovascular fitness that a central midfielder would need to be at his peak but they are throwing themselves about they have to be agile and surely oh, no, a 40-year-old is not agile as a 28-year-old. Charlie's point was quite correct, is that you look at really old goalkeepers at the top level, let, let's say Buffon, for example, who towards the very, very end of his career wasn't about flinging himself about. He'd learned so much about the art and he was so clearly just so conscious of what happens in pretty much every football game that he was going to play in that it was just about commanding his area. He didn't actually do very much in, in, a very, in, in the vaguest sense of the word. He wasn't flinging himself about like Pickford. He just knew what was about to happen. So really, it's just about kind of appearing very calm and be, being a presence in, in that goalkeeping vernacular, just commanding your area. And I, just, I think that's how goalkeepers towards the end of their careers just become this kind of... Just, presence in their area but not actually doing anything i think yeah i think it's weird though i think it's i think it's complete nonsense if you were to look into it there's no reason why a goalkeeper can't peak at 28 why why he shouldn't be fully capable of being a brilliant goalkeeper better than a 35 year old goalkeeper at 25 i've got one question about goalkeepers it's mm. always puzzled me why aren't they taller than they are <laughs> because if you they generally are it, pretty tall though they're, I mean, they're, tall, they're, they're, they're no. the tallest player probably on average <laughs> I disagree. I disagree because why aren't they like the average? I looked this up. The average um, height of a of a forward in the NBA is six foot nine. Mm. So why why you know and like American NBA teams will like go out and find the tallest kids and train them up and 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 they'll like earmark them as being a basketball player Good from point. an early age because like the I, I I don't know the average height of a Premier League goalkeeper but it's probably what like six four six three. I, I'd say there are some three. that are six foot. Yeah, you know, there are some that are less than six foot. Like, why but, but, aren't clubs finding kids who are going to be seven <laughs> foot and putting them in goal? But there's a need in football as a goalkeeper to get low in a way that I don't know if there is that same need in NBA. Mm. In NBA, if your job is to shoot hoops, as it were, um, nice. you know, that, there's only an upside. Whereas for a goalie, yeah. you do need to be able to get low. You need to be able to do both. Uh, yeah. So there's probably a, a point at which you go too far. And, you know, a seven foot goalie is not going to be very mobile and oh, agile. You catch getting every down cross, them. Yeah, so there, there would be an advantage, but there would be a downside as well. So I can see why they're not just, you know, trying to farm sort of seven foot keepers <laughs> you're keeping these seven foot goalkeepers in the shed and they're going what am i doing oh god <laughs> uh, i feel like every club should have at least one massive goalkeeper on their staff in their in their three i feel like it's 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 a, it's good to have one kind of niche appeal goalkeeper in <laughs> your choice of three. yeah and yeah. They, they should feel that kind of third choice role because third choice keepers for me should either be really massive so they sort of provide something different like you could you could bring them on in a penalty shootout and they, and they would do something different or they should just be really, really old, mystifying signings like Rob Green at Chelsea um, last season, the season before, um, which which Richard ostensibly Wright. looks absolutely absurd. But I guess probably feel the kind of homegrown player quota aspect of it. But I love yeah. just the whole thing about third choice keepers fascinates me. Um, and they, I've read a few interviews with the likes of Richard Wright and uh, who was it? Was it um, Taylor at Arsenal? Stuart Taylor, yeah. Stuart Taylor, yeah. And and the first question they always get asked is, it's pretty easy being a third choice goalkeeper, isn't it? It's just a bit of a good life. You're earning money for doing nothing. And they say, well, no, not really. It's it, like you have to be ready to play at all times. But on the face of it, from a, from a kind of layman's perspective, being a third choice keeper just looks really strange way of 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 letting your career just kind of progress. And to me, their 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 duties include being the guy who has to stand slightly in the other half during the warm-up and getting in the opposition's way while the other one takes goal <laughs> kicks. And, and that's always really awkward because you're watching it going, oh, they're going to get in the way of somebody. Oh, they're going to have to go. Oh, they have to go and ask for the ball back, which is like childhood revisited. It must be terrible. Um, sharing little jokes during... Um, uh, just before a penalty shootout and after extra time where they go around sort of geeing up the first choice just before he, he, he embarks on the worst um, passage of football of his life. And... Just generally being around wearing gloves. I think it sounds great. 
Yeah, I'd happily be a third-choice keeper. Dave, being an emergency goalkeeper, unlike third-choice goalkeepers who lead this quite banal existence on the face of it, emergency goalkeepers have quite an an exciting existence. They're ready to be called on, like the the SAS, perhaps. Yes, although... You know, undoubtedly they are less skilled than any member of the SAS. Otherwise, they wouldn't really be languishing around doing nothing. That's, um, that's true, and, and that's what happens. Like, I mean, there's a few examples. Of like, remember when Andy Gorham like had to play for Man United when he was like 41 <laughs> yeah, or something? I do a double because, take every time I hear or see that. I just cannot yeah. believe it happened. Like uh, Andy Lonergan nearly ended up in goal for Liverpool this season mm. when mm. Alisson went down and they had to get Adrian and then he got injured and everything. But there is, um, I don't know how famous this is to, to non-Watford fans, but it's a quite incredible story. In 1987, Watford got to the FA Cup semi-final against Tottenham at Villa Park. And their goalkeeper at that time was Tony Coton, one of the best keepers in, in the first mm-hmm. division. Um, he got injured and their substitute goalkeeper was Steve Sherwood, who famously had a tough time in the 1984 cup final against Everton. Uh, and he, you know, so, so they have one keeper. Sherrod was like, okay, he's the, he's the slightly older veteran substitute keeper. He'll do a job. And, but we need, we need cover. So Graham Taylor was like trying to find cover. Of course, it's the semifinals in April. The transfer window back then had been, was shut in March. They couldn't sign anyone. There were no goalkeepers knocking around. He tried to get Pat Jennings out of retirement. who was in his forties. <laughs> wasn't interesting. That's incredible. I think he tried Bob Wilson, like who again would have been no. in his probably mid forties at that time. Tried to get him out. No, not interested. They had a sixteen-year-old on the books, none other than David mm. James, um, at the wow. time. But he was deemed he was deemed to be too young. We can't a put certain David James, yeah, sixteen-year-old <laughs> in goal for an FA Cup semi-final. So it just so happened that the chief executive, uh, Eddie Plumley, his son used to be a goalkeeper. He'd played for Newport County, I think, a hundred or so times in the football league. He'd, he'd been at Cardiff for a bit, but like you know, a fairly, uh, you know, not a very notable career, but just you know, just a decent lower league goalkeeper who played for for a, for a lower league team at the time. He was now retired. He was basically the front of house at a wine bar in Newport, um, and. It, that was all they could think of. So they signed this guy up. They gave him a contract. Said we just needed to be cover, just in case anything goes wrong. What happens? Steve Sherwood breaks his his finger in the warm up in training a few days before <laughs> the game. Uh, so Graham Taylor um, puts him in goal for the FA Cup semi final against against Spurs with Glenn Hoddles playing. Clive Allen scored forty goals that season. What happens within the first ten minutes? Clive Allen has a shot from a ridiculous angle. It's like right hand side outside the penalty area, just leathers it at the keeper. It's a good height for the keeper. Spills it, goes straight to the Spurs player, one nil down, and the next goal goes in. It's a deflection. He gets wrong footed, and it was a horror show. They lost four one, and I mean that's the bloke was literally a week before welcoming people from Newport into his wine bar and then a week later he's playing in an FA Cup semi-final it's just it's just amazing I feel bad for him I feel really bad but at the same time you shouldn't be well versed in this sort of thing like if you spill a drink in a wine bar you're going to get the (laughs) sort of automatic way in the background he should should be ready for these pressure situations I think he probably got a bit more than a way, an ironic way from some of the Watford fans that day. But you shouldn't feel too bad for him, actually, because you know what happened? He did get paid for the for the, uh, for the the appearance Good. that he made. Um, do you know what he did with the money? He bought a fridge. And in the, recent, <laughs> in, the, in the recent interview, he said he's still got it. It still works to this day. It's in the garage. He calls it the Watford fridge. What would an episode of Football Clichés be without the cliché quiz at the very end to round things off? I think, I think I've constructed a really good one for you two this week. Um, this is really going to sort the men from the boys when it comes to, to the cliché quiz. Are you ready? Yep. Yes. Question one. A goalkeeper who has had pretty much nothing to do for, for 90 minutes is then suddenly called into action. What has he been for those 89 minutes? A spectator. Minutes? No. Spect- it's two words. A virtual spectator? Uh, you can have virtual spectator. I was looking for virtual bystander, but I would accept. I was going to say bystander. Spectator. Yeah, but it, virtual is the is the crucial word here. Charlie just about gets on a technicality. I'll allow this. Right, second one here. This is um, this is more of a turn based situation, and um, and so it's it's sort of sudden death penalty shootout style. Uh, I'm going to toss a coin, Charlie, and I want you to call. Tails. Yes. Tells it is. You will go first in the name goalkeeping glove brands manufacturer. Oh, I will I not have accept. To name one. You can name one, then it will be Dave's turn. I will not accept 
Adidas, Nike, or anybody else who clearly make other things and just happen yeah. to do goalkeeper gloves. I want yeah. pretty much specialist goalkeeper gloves, and you will begin. Well, that, yeah, uh, Roish, however that was pronounced. Good start. Uh, okay, I'll go for uh, Ul, Ulsport. Nice. Sondico for me, please, Adam. Classic, nice. Oh, it's going to get tough now. Oh, I mean, that's that's it, isn't it? <laughs> Those are the three. I've got no idea. Ah, uh, I mean, does Warrior count? No. No. <laughs> How dare you? You could have had. You could have had Ho. That's ho. genuinely a yeah Ho. You could have Cells. You could have had Storelli, and you could have had Tuto. Never heard of any of those. Yeah, I've got to say. Once you you go... Oh, you don't don't tell me, Charlie, that you would have got any of those. That's rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not having that. Oh, oh yeah, I've heard of all of them. (laughs) All all wonderful Um, brands in their own right. I was wearing one of those very brands myself right now, actually. Um, Yeah, so... uh, But I won't say. Anyway, so... uh, Oh, Charlie's Charlie's already won both questions. (sighs) Dave, you're already out. never have any luck in these things, do I? No, it's really bad. Okay, question three. I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, First on the buzzer for this one. Uh, A goalkeeper makes a horrendous mistake. And what does he wish would happen next? The ground would swallow him up. Oh, hat trick, (laughs) Eccleshare. Well done. He's done it. There must be something wrong with your connection when we do these, Dave. There must be something wrong with the audio feed. I just can't can't imagine what the problem must be that you keep getting beaten three little in the cliche quiz. It's really really bad. It's really not good. It's supposed to be the head of audio as well. I know. Well, it's like I'm. I'm like an. You have me on so infrequently these days. I'm just. I'm out of practice. Like like a third choice keeper. Yeah, but that's thing. Like a keeper, you should be switching on at all. You know, you haven't had to do a lot for the last few months, and then now you you should be focused. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad we've ended on this light-hearted note because I can feel like there's, there's no more suitable way to play us out today as, since we began the episode with him as well than David Seaman chuckling. <laughs> no. I'm under orders. <laughs>